I hit a kid the other day. Like I ran right into him. Did you was, fall off your bike? No, no. He, I stopped and I was just like standing there like, you all right there, buddy? Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another POTUS Life podcast. Um, Justin, it's been a little bit since we last recorded. The listeners may not know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. They don't know because they're not living our lives. Well, we haven't quite released all of our all of our recordings yet. We're getting to that. Trying to do a big release pretty soon. But again, it's all irrelevant because this will be in the past. But the last time uh, we recorded was prior to the RNC and all that stuff. So now Donald Trump is the official candidate for Republican Party. Hooray! To become the president of the United States. That's not uh, frightening at all. No, it's been about a year-long reality show. I, I thought it was a little weird, actually. Directly after the RNC, there was a big bump in his numbers. Is this a normal thing that happens, I wonder, with candidates? Yes, that's totally normal. That's what I figured, because everyone was making a big deal about, oh, it's wonderful, it's awesome, oh, Donald Trump, and I'm like, uh, this is the scariest shit ever. And I mean, of course, you had like your people that were saying that sort of shit too, like, oh, it's so scary and we're all going to die, but I'm like, there's just no way. There's no way. I guess we, we should also mes- mention that uh, the DNC went down as well. Lots of balloons. Lots of lots of Bernie people still out there. Oh my gosh! I was sending a. It wasn't you, was it? No, I was sending. Oh no! I have a friend that really likes Hillary, and no Bernie. He really liked Bernie. So I have a friend that really likes Bernie. I kept sending him pictures of all the Bernie chicks that were crying. Um, oh, yeah, that's like great. there were so many pictures of these girls just completely breaking down, sobbing, crying not able to handle their shit. It was hilarious. Poor Bernie. Bernie fans. Welcome to reality. Do you think Bernie wanted to be the president? Of course he wanted to be the president. No, I know that's a silly question to ask, like you're running to be the president of the United States, but do you think he was just doing it to be like a contrarian within his party, someone that is providing a little bit of really what I think is more in line with the democratic platform. He's like, he's like, this is what we're, we're all about people. And you know, we've got Hillary over here. Well, that's and- what he's, that's what he's selling it as now. I don't know if that was his plan, his evil plan all along. He just wanted to run to run. I don't think he thought that he would win. There's just no way. I don't know. I mean, he's not a genius. He's going to start a revolution. St- he's starting a revolution. Yeah. If, if he's starting a revolution, then what the fuck is Donald Trump doing? 
I think he's just showing how fucking crazy. All also, all that stuff these people about are. and a- asking why we can't just use nuclear weapons. <laughs> Have you seen that? Oh God, no! Was that a thing? Yeah, he was in a like a national security briefing with uh, some foreign policy and homeland security experts, and it was like with it. Within the time frame of, of an hour, he asked three times why the United States can't just use nuclear weapons. <laughs> like he's, he's like almost seventy years old. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't understand like what would be bad about about just nuking. Like, hey, if these people and if Iraq is acting up, why can't we just nuke a city? You know, teach them a lesson. It's so like the Soviet Union didn't even do that <laughs> in Afghanistan. Yeah, just nuke a city, you know, they'll all get in line. Dear God. I don't I don't understand. I did see a cartoon that alluded to that, but I didn't know that he actually said that. Yeah, I mean if we have them, why don't we just use them? I don't understand why we can't just use them. Just, you know, pop a few off. Dust pop. I watched the movie Armageddon. That's how they save the <laughs> Earth. They, they use nuclear weapons on, on an asteroid that they were drilling into. Are you calling Afghanistan an asteroid? I mean, I'm just using his... Trying to get in his head. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Like, I saw it in a movie. What's so bad about him, huh? We used him in space. Ben Affleck knows. We should call Spoiler, him in. Spoiler alert, it was Bruce Willis that, set up, that stayed behind and set off the <laughs> uh, Liv Tyler was real upset. She was getting... It, there were some really odd sexual scenes in there, right? Like, that's not just me? Between her, her and uh, Bruce Willis? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> seen Armageddon in at least a decade. Uh, oh, God. I know that, that her real father, Steven Tyler... Like had her stripping in a one of his music videos. There's nothing wrong with that. A little scissor action with uh, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone. I'll buy it. What are you selling? I don't know. We're getting real off track. <laughs> so hopefully by the time this comes out, you know Donald Trump will we'll be have... our will be our president. I know. I hope so. I was gonna say that he would have said something stupid enough to not even be in the conversation anymore but we'll see if if debates go down if he agrees to debates what that those will be like but at least for at least for the vice president debates it'll just be two white guys you know go back to the way things (laughs) used to be does that make you more comfortable white guys yeah two old white guys just (laughs) just two old white guys going at it does that make you comfortable do you like that that's the america i know all right that's sarcasm but anyway so, uh, we, can, we can jump into i was about to say do you want to do you want to go dad, ahead and, a dead white guy i mean listen i'm a pretty i'm a pretty big fan of uh george although he i did think i was thinking about this this week just real quick um he was kind of like an older white guy who just didn't want to pay taxes right and always was kind of like crying a little bit that everybody was against him he's a little bit of a little bit farmer a little bit 
slave owner, a little bit <laughs> politician, a little bit of a military career. I mean, I think his military career, let's just, it, it was, I still am at the point where I think it's more failure than success. And it was just kind of the Providence luck. We can call it, we can call it a bit of luck there. I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I don't know how he, I don't know how he got to where he was, honestly, because he's, he wasn't really intelligent. He well, couldn't really, all you need to do is be able to throw an iron bar really far and play the game, get people drunk enough to vote for you. <laughs> he was just so damn popular from anything that I've read about him. But he also sounds like kind of a buzzkill. You know, he had some issues with gambling, but he wasn't exactly doing keg stands and whatnot. Less, less, less of a frat boy than I anticipated it up. I'll just put it that way. Okay. All right. All right. I think we ended the last episode with his resignation from the British and the lowly Virginia regiment. And we're starting off this episode after our Trump rants with uh, his marriage to Martha Dandridge Custis. Miss Custis. And he, they were married in early January of 1759. Uh, And the name, Mar- Martha strikes some sour notes for me after Batman versus Su- Superman, the the dawn of the mistake of a movie, which was a disappointment. I think some people are holding out. There's some uh, Batman v Superman apologists out there, and I mean, I, this is I'm I'm somebody that I prefer my DC graphic novels to Marvel. Because I feel like Marvel movies are just the, the same movie over and over again, unless it's Deadpool, but that was great. If you have seen the movie, Batman vs. Superman, <laughs> or if you ha- rather, if you haven't seen the movie, I would say that you're, you're blessed. But uh, spoiler alert, the big turning point of the film depends entirely on the coincidence that Batman and Superman's mothers share the name Martha. Oh, that's they, cute. They pretty much go from beating the crap out of each other to bonding over the name Martha, which is just so so stupid. You don't like that? <laughs> it, was the, it was the worst. It was the worst thing ever. But uh, anyways, back in 1759, George gets hitched to another Martha. Maybe it's. Batman's mother as well. But uh, they get <laughs> they get married at Martha's Pad, also known as her White House. Oh. Coincidence. You hearing that, conspiracy theorist? Illuminati. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that George had quite a the fun. He had a good time decorating the place for the wedding. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. You know, designing their clothing and their tablecloths and stuff. <laughs> George's mother did not attend the wedding. What a bitch. Like she just was not into it. Maybe because her name was not Martha. <laughs> in fact, all evidence suggests that it was a straight up boycott in protest of the marriage. And uh, that would continue into the future with the couple's r- relationship to Mary Ball Washington uh, and it was a rocky one. From that point on, 
Uh, probably maybe adding to George's mommy issues. But I think that he would consider his marriage to Martha well worth it. George becomes one of the wealthiest men in Virginia in a very short amount of time, thanks to Martha. She would add some 8,000 acres, around 85 slaves, plus a bunch of cash. His library also gets a bit larger. And among the new additions from Martha's late husband are books like The Lover's Watch or The Art of Making Love. All right. And All right. Con- conjugal Lewdness or Matrimonial Whoredom. <laughs> Those titles are paired with uh, George's stash of Spanish fly. <laughs> just kind of kept in the corner on the side. We'll just, and just keep this over there. Yeah, I did a little bit of digging on Spanish fly because something I've heard about, but I didn't really know anything about it. It was uh, fairly popular during this time period, so it wasn't exclusively weird of him, but it was used as a medicine, which will will actually, I think, find more about how it was used as a medicine when we discuss his death, but it was also commonly used as an aphrodisiac. Oh, oh my. Yeah. It's not quite in blue pill form, but it has since been made illegal in the United States. Oh, they take all the good things away, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. Although it is sometimes (laughs) used to breed livestock. Oh God. So it's not, it's not an aphrodisiac in the same sense as, candlelight and rose petals it's more like a really shitty version of viagra so ed must have been an issue with george washington that's all that horse riding bouncing those balls all day just (laughs) riding on that horse saddle (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean if he was ordering the stuff from england and using it in the bedroom he, he must have had some problems maybe martha didn't do it for him like (laughs) Like Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. Or maybe <laughs> maybe he just couldn't visualize Sally Fair, Fairfax like he used to be able to. <laughs> or maybe he wasn't 100% into chicks. Hey, maybe. Know. Maybe. We don't know. There was that time on the That's island. That's not really important. There was that time. I think we'll see. Hey, they needed to get warm on the island. That's what I'm saying. But according to Wikipedia, the use of Spanish fly goes down something like this. As it passes through the urinary tract, it irritates the genitals, mm. resulting in an increased blood flow that can mimic the engorgement that occurs with sexual excitement. Oh, God. Leading to their supposed aphrodisiac effects. Oh, God. And uh, I saw in one more modern text that... A male erection caused by the use of such a thing is uh, pathological, painful, and devoid of sexual pleasure. So are you saying that George Washington was one sick sexual fuck? I would say poor George. He's <laughs> doing, you know, you have problems in that air, in the bedroom, you use the Spanish fly. <laughs> and he's still pretty young at this time. Uh, 
you know, thank God for Obamacare. Oh, yes. Amen. <laughs> so, nobody's, I don't think anybody's using that in this country. But I, when I was looking around the interwebs, I came across some websites actually advocating for the use of Spanish fly over prescription medication. For real? Because it's natural. You know, everybody's oh, like, God. oh my God, it's David natural. David Wolf website, the avocado, whatever it's called. Jesus. You know, I don't think he's gone there yet, but it's probably the next thing. And that's that's proof of how stupid modernization has allowed us to be. No, I completely yeah, agree. I don't want to turn it this into the Spanish Fly podcast, but but a couple of other notes on this stuff. It's made from the beetle of the same name, so maybe that's where I heard it from before. The chemical that actually makes the false boners wasn't even isolated until around 1810. The chemical is cantharidin or C10H12O4. It's highly toxic. It's another word that the natural crowd likes to use, toxic. And like most things of that nature, it'll straight up kill you if taken in the wrong amount. It can ca- cause severe chemical burns, <laughs> but it's used today to remove water warts. So, yeah. Interesting. That's what the first president of the United States was using to try to procreate with his young wife, Martha. Now that we're all grossed out. I'm a little grossed out. Yep. Just think of, of your genitals having to be irritated so that you... <laughs> Never mind. In the, in the spring of 1761, George's half-sister-in-law <laughs> died, leaving him as the total owner of Mount Vernon. Finally and gets five, it. Yeah, and five more slaves. Five more. Just five more. So he, he certainly benefited from death and marriage a, a couple times. He's doing pretty well in that department. Uh, he becomes... Enough of, a, of an aristocrat to later become the commander of the Revolutionary Army and the President of the United <laughs> States. Woo! And, you know, that's an opinion that I share with John Adams, who credited Martha with making both those things possible for George. Yeah, I uh, think you're right there. Definitely didn't hurt to get a few more, a uh, few more slaves, a little bit of land, a little bit of cash. His sister dies. All right, sister-in-law, Dick. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sister-in-law. My bad. My bad. That's right. But it leaves it. It left him with a lot of latitude. So, uh, about a month after the wedding, George assumes his seat in the House of Burgesses. I looked this up. That is how it's said. I, I I'm think. gonna, I'm gonna go with Burgesses. I'm I'm not certain. I'm almost 100% positive that that is not correct. Just That's saying. okay. <laughs> Most of the things I say aren't correct. <laughs> Except for my Spanish fly trivia. I did like that. That was nice. I'm glad that I can at least... Uh, well, you, you you like the chemistry things. You, you get into that a little bit, don't you? No. No. So... Uh, during one of his first sessions, the gentleman of the house thanked him for the service he provided during the French and Indian War. I was surprised to learn that George was pretty awkward in these types of social situations. I always kind of actually thought of him as being a very verbose person. I really 
always had this like in my imagination actually until i saw the show turn that he like he was really breathy and just didn't know what to do in these situations wasn't really a much of a public speaker which again we see how he motivates troops later so i find this to be odd um but he was so odd that after he was publicly acknowledged he stood up uh, was speechless for about a minute attempted to express his gratefulness and then was told to sit down by the speaker of the house um <laughs> as he called it to order uh the speaker helped george uh, spin somewhat the somewhat embarrassing event by saying uh, that your modesty is equal to your valor saved by the bell indeed or the gavel in this case i guess from what i understand so far his soft-spoken demeanor is consistent throughout his early political career. And from what I understand, besides perhaps being a little insecure about that breathy voice we talked about before, he just didn't speak unless it was necessary. Thomas Jefferson would actually later note about both George and Benjamin Franklin that I've never heard either of them speak 10 minutes at a time, nor to anything but the point. Pretty interesting little quote there. And actually, one of the sources I found talked about how he really doesn't show up to sessions in the house unless it was completely necessary for him or specifically involved his district. Oh, which, so like Congress. It's kind of like what happens right now. Like, oh, I just kind of don't have to show up unless someone's really talking about something that I find actually important or need to care about so that I can get reelected. Yeah, there are definitely uh, a handful of people who mostly just don't show up currently, like uh, Mr. Marco Rubio famously misses key votes because he's off doing things like running for president or, uh, quote, visiting the constituents. I love how everyone always puts it when they because they are listing a reason why they can't be there. And they say it's, you know, I'm visiting constituents (laughs) or some people are just like sick, like and they're just not there. Like they're just sick. They're still in office somehow. Like no one said, hey, this person is sick. They shouldn't be in office anymore because they can never actually go. So like, we'll just keep them there. It's fine. We'll just like keep voting them in. It's fine. Like it's totally cool. What the fuck? Anyway, I get mad about that. Or people just slip in their sons and daughters with the same last name. Mm-hmm. And uh, voters are just like, oh, I recognize that name, I think. That big, that big last name on a, on a board somewhere. Yeah, I've seen yeah. it all over the place. Yeah. So uh, while he was a young Burgess, George was assigned to sit on several committees. Some drew on his military experience. One such committee sorted through petitions from soldiers and uh, army vendors. Another committee he sat on dealt with commercial and governmental matters. One thing is for sure, George is a student of experience. He learns from doing. His experience in governing now will definitely add to his qualifications for leading the army and the country later in life. So when he's there, when he's engaging with his fellow Burgesses. He definitely is training himself and is learning and is taking the time to understand kind of what's happening in politics. So I think it's definitely not time wasted. He was a very wise man. I don't know if he always wanted to kind of just sit in this seat and then let it all go, but things definitely uh, escalate, but that's getting way too far ahead. So Washington attends sessions until April. He wants to make sure to stick around and support a bill that would make sure that the Virginia regiment would remain funded and intact as a military unit. I'm sure some of this was pride in his old unit, and perhaps some of this was his desire to have a position to return to if action were to ever heat up again. He knew these guys. He kind of helped form them and was really pivotal in their early beginning. So he, bro- yeah, he loved like, the sound of, of bullets. He, he loved those sounds. Maybe that 
they should have been thinking of that instead of using that Spanish fly. Bullets. Bullets always do it. Guns. Maybe he would have been a Republican today at that point, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. It sounds about right. I love my guns. Love the sound it makes when it goes off. Weirdos. No anyway. disrespect to Republicans out there. No, please don't. Please don't. We comment. love you guys. We love. What do you mean, you guys? What do you mean, you people? Yeah, I mean, we really love you. We love you. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Vote for Trump. Trump 2016. Republican in the streets. <laughs> Democratic socialist in the sheets. <laughs> oh, speaking of just quick side note. I love that there was, I, I checked, I, I don't think that it was as bad as publicized, but apparently there definitely was an uptick in uh, guys looking for guy on guy secret ac- action on Craigslist. I, I checked this out, that, that was real. During the RNC or both of them? Uh, during the RNC, well, there's apparently always an uptick in democratic cities, which makes sense. I feel like being on the, the more liberal accepted side of that you'll find that that more often uh but it definitely is a huge uptick in uh the rnc so cleveland had a massive spike in uh male seeking male ads on craigslist i'll have to remember that because we could we could do one of those uh like hacky journalistic things where we are we going to dateline the guys yeah like we could be catching (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these uh family men what are you doing here oh i don't know just, oh, nothing i'm just curious <laughs> perfect so right we're at the end of april uh washington has attended sessions he's about to leave he martha and her two kiddos head out to mount vernon very nice they're like oh this is this is this is ours now you know so uh, quaint. so it's so quaint so he's, quaint out here. He has maybe like a little carriage for him. Can you imagine? He's riding on a horse on the side and they're riding in the carriage and it's just perfect. What a what a perfect family, you know? I can imagine that. Maybe I'm maybe I like it too much. Every family needs a Martha. Martha. Uh he was still working on renovations to the house. Uh so bringing it up to a sta- he wanted to bring it up to a standard that wealthy Martha and her children would find suitable. The place was a mess, so he called ahead and had some rooms made up for everyone to stay in while the rest of the place was being renovated. Some other big moves happened around this time that would greatly enhance George's money situation. He became the administrator of the assets that belonged to both Jackie and Patsy. He became their legal guardian, uh, so he was good old stepdaddy George. Although he felt super responsible for them, stating that a natural parent is only responsible for their conscience. So I assume he really felt responsible to his conscience and to them and to their big cash money. He really did want to invest wisely in their future and kind of his own at the same time. I think it was a little bit of his retirement plan, perhaps. So I don't know. I found that very interesting. So from what I can gather, Washington really I'm was starting to get plans on on my future. Yeah, you tr- you trying to find some uh, kind kind of like not so attractive woman that yeah that makes good money and maybe has some children with their daddy's their dead daddy's money. I'm a monster. <laughs> I I'm right there with you. I'll find myself a nice gentleman, nice older. Nice older daddy. It's all right. You like that? Yeah. Anyway, 
what I can gather is that Washington was really sweet to Patsy. He would make sure he would make sure that suitable clothing and toys were shipped in from London. Jackie, on the other hand, was apparently quite the handful. Chernot describes Jackie as lazy, wayward, and indulged by his mother, which I understand the mother part. She's dealt with a lot of death in her life already, so she would totally pamper her children. I I absolutely get that. The Jackie situation definitely, spoiler alert, does not get better over time. And again, we'll dig into that a little. Mo- we'll dig into that a little more later. He's like Buster, mother boy. <laughs> oh, mommy. Uh, As to the relationship between George and Martha, it appeared to be a strong marriage, perhaps more out of necessity than love. Again, all the money that George was receiving, the responsibility of taking care of her children. She needed a man to kind of make it easy for her to do her business in her life. So it was definitely mutually beneficial. A British ambassador's wife once said Washington was a more respectful than tender husband. But the two had a set of complementary skills that paired well together and both understood what it took to make a marriage in that era work. So I think that that was pretty much why they decided we're going to be in this thing. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. It's going to be huge. Sounds like a I'll take some Spanish marriage. fly. I, you know what, though? With a little Spanish, Spanish fly sprinkled in there. <laughs> Irritate that urethra. While Martha was reading about matrimonial whoredom, I kind of want to get that book. Is that still available or in print? I'm going to Amazon that. I should have ordered it months ago but i do think it's i think their marriage is kind of cool but it's also funny when uh you know very pro washington authors claim that washington's final preference was martha custis over someone i don't know like sally fairfax because martha was that slow and steady kind of love compared to george's lustful passion for sally Obviously, Washington had the foresight to choose wisely. It had nothing to do with Sally being a married woman, married to his friend, no less. But 26-year-old George Washington would probably choose Sally over Martha and Spanish Fly if he actually had that choice to make in the first place. But whatever, he's got the, he's got the money, he's got the White House, <laughs> he's got the Martha. He's anyway, got the Mount you look at it, that's... That's how it went down. Several accounts describe Washington as being very much into women, striking a, a huge blow to any theories that he might have been a little gay. Maybe. Chernow, the, the author of George's lovely 900-page biography, maintains that his steely willpower and stern discipline likely overmastered any fugitive impulse, impulses to stray. My favorite word in that claim is likely. Bill Clinton gets a lot of crap over infidelity, but I think that most U.S. presidents probably had affairs. Some of them had children out of wedlock, and the ones that had slaves are rumored to have procreated them, too. We just don't have camera phones to back it up. There are rumors that George stepped out on Martha, according to Siri and some crap on the internet (laughs) there's not really any evidence though but i don't really care about evidence right now most of the articles i read agree that he had an affair with uh, a slave named venus interesting and that's where we get the thing girls go to venus (laughs) men go to mars or whatever and that george had a son with venus but really the only 
the only proof offered up is that there is no proof that he didn't have an affair. So there's like a flying spaghetti monster amount of evidence. I think that he probably did have at least one affair. I mean, he's he's a human being and he's a quiet man. So Justin, interestingly enough, I actually did a little research on this uh, Venus Ford issue. Do tell. Well, so her name was Venus Ford. And again, the, the rumor is that George uh, was banging her and that they fathered a son around 1784. The lid didn't actually blow off the story until 1999. <laughs> 1999, this is crazy. But the initial research began in 1996 when two sisters presented the Mount Vernon Ladies Association with an oral account that stated their relative, West Ford, was the son of George Washington. I don't personally believe the story to be true either, actually. Uh, neither did the Mount Vernon Ladies Association, who did extensive research into the matter. So what do we know? Venus was a slave that worked at one of Augustine's plantations. That would be George's older half-brother. Uh, this plantation was a 16-hour ride away from, that would be not a short ride, uh, from where he was. There is no proof that Washington ever visited this specific plantation during that time. Washington was the most famous. All that says to me is it was far enough away to far. get away with it. Just getting, just getting, Georgie dog. Just getting away with it. Um, Venus, this is true though. Venus may once have visited Mount Vernon. What I was trying to say was he, he was, George was such a famous citizen back in that day. A two day road trip to get out. A 16-hour ride, horse ride, is really a two-day trip. That would have definitely been noted in the logs. They kept, I mean, it's crazy how immaculate they kept all these logs and how much information they have. Venus's wife may once have visited Mount Vernon while attending to Augustine's wife on a trip she made there in 1785. This really would have been the only trip there where Washington perhaps had an encounter with Venus, but it's highly unlikely. West Ford did serve, which was, so Venus Ford did have a child, West Ford. West Ford did serve at Mount Vernon, but not until after Washington died. West Ford did have many privileges while living at Mount Vernon, but that was not uncommon for any highly skilled or trusted slave. We'll kind of talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, but there is no documented proof at all that Washington may have come into contact with Venus. The only people who have propagated this story are the relatives of West Ford himself. I mean, who doesn't want to be a relative of George Washington, right? That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, but lastly, the faith that George Washington understood his role as spokesman and representative to a new nation, I believe he took that position very seriously and wouldn't jeopardize the reputation of the new nation he's like worked so hard to establish. I think that that would just be very contrarian to what he would want to be doing. And I think he, I really do feel he felt that responsibility. He was, I think he was a good guy. I just, I just kind of want to believe. I want to believe, like you know, the X Files. I want to believe it. That's the George I know. The George that is not perfect. If you're narcissistic enough for politics, then you're probably narcissistic enough to ditch the Spanish fly and have a couple affairs with a slave named Venus. Maybe. He also liked to uh, write sleazy letters <laughs> to different women, <laughs> this is including funny, widows. <laughs> a lot of these letters are, are lost to us forever because J.P. Morgan Jr., Burned a bunch of them because he thought they were too dirty. <laughs> it's just something that rich people like to do. <laughs> buy historical correspondence from George just Washington. Toss it right at the fire. You know, written by the first president of the United States. Then burn the smutty ones you don't like. <laughs> what piece of shit. Editing the history. Editing. Do you think he was like 
I'm editing history right now. It's like such a junior. I bet they called him junior. junior I bet they did call him junior. That's why I did it. Uh, so what, what did Washington write in these letters, by the way? Like, do we have anything that we kind of know he was writing about specifically? What junior didn't get to destroy. Tell us that, uh, Washington had a weird sense of humor about breeding animals, specifically a donkey gifted to him by the King of Spain. That's just stuff I'd rather not think about, you know, bestiality and stuff. That's what (laughs) JP Morgan didn't burn. That's to each, to each their own, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, whatever you're into, there's nothing wrong with that. It's all right. Chase bank. (laughs) That's why I don't bank at Chase. Is that the reason why? Yeah. Interesting. Dickhead. So, uh, since you don't want to talk about animal breeding, I guess we should probably talk about, uh, I guess talk maybe a little bit more about George and his fertility. Maybe you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Like we said before, George had no children of his own. He adopted Martha's kids. He opened up his home to younger folks a lot. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that that happened, but he and Martha never had any themselves. His dosing with the Spanish fly would lead us to believe that he and Martha were definitely probably getting it on. Like we said, uh, she was reading Horton books. He was taking that Spanish fly. Maybe that was to bang the slaves. Maybe not. Most modern scholars would actually speculate that George was sterile. Martha had children. So unless she had a birth complication when she had Patsy, she was probably still able to bear children. I personally think it was George that was not able to have the children. Like we mentioned before, just not with white women. Right. Exactly. Um, the dude was on Spanish fly. He bounced around on horses all the time, <laughs> which really seriously had to have some effect on his balls. I don't know how that works, but I just can only imagine. He fought in battles, so he probably had uh, the boys jostled around a little bit in that situation. Uh, he had all sorts of illnesses, including smallpox that can definitely make you sterile. But he totally thought it was Martha, which I kind of find funny. He once wrote to a nephew and said that Providence forbid Martha were to ever die. He would find a younger lady and procreate with her. Oh, like, what the fuck, dude? Uh, either way, this didn't seem... what every man says about their wife. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, find, I'll find a pretty younger lady. It'd be a real shame. I'll bang her. I'm just going to write that in a letter to my nephew because that's like an appropriate thing that an uncle writes to his nephew is, eh, you know, if my wife dies, providence forbid, uh, you know, I'll do what I got to do. But either way, this doesn't seem to affect the marriage. Uh, like we said, he and Martha always entertained and had a full home their entire life. George also would mentor and be fairly close to the children of Jackie Custis, as well as other young relatives of his. He kind of, we we see there's a lot of correspondence between him and younger people where he's providing mentorship. Even the slaves, I was kind of reading a few anecdotal, the slave children, he was kind of like the cranky old man. So he thought that the slave children were playing his bushes in the front of the house and were ruining them all the time. So he'd like get really cranky old man on them and like sit out there and like yell at them to go away. But yeah, Washington had no children. Which is interesting, really, overall, to me, considering that he was called the father of our nation. It probably also helped him honestly secure the position that there were no relatives or any reasonable bloodline where a monarchy could persist. I mean, do you find that interesting? Is it just me? You're the only one. Nope. Okay. Alrighty then. So now that sex is out of the way, let's get back to the more interesting matters. Washington shopping. What do you say? I've been waiting for Washington's shopping. 
I've had, to tell you the truth, I've had enough of this sex talk. So now it's time JB, for shopping. JB, channeling JP Morgan Jr. <laughs> this is gross. This is nasty. We're going to go ahead and throw that in the fire. Yucky. <laughs> How old was he when he did that? I wonder. I don't know. He was probably <laughs> 70 years old. <laughs> Who knows? Well, uh, having married a wealthy widow, he acquired the connections and mean to upgrade his sales and shopping agents in London. Robert Carey and company was a top tier firm. And you better believe that Washington was giddy, like seriously, honestly giddy with excitement to place some orders and spend that cash. Initially, he trusted Carey would send him some really fancy and fashionable stuff, a raincoat, fashionable work clothes. I love his correspondence uh, about work pants. Actually, quote, I desire you to make me a pair of Hold on, I think I need, my, my voice needs to be more breathy. I desire you to make me a pair of breeches and some clothing as my former pair, but more accurately fitting. These breeches must be roomy in the seat, the buttons firmly sewn on. These breeches must be made exactly to these measurements, not to those which you imagine that they may stretch after a period of use. So I, I, the, the thing I want to repoint out in there was uh, the breeches must have a room... Uh, a roomy seat and the buttons uh, firmly sewn on. So I think what they were saying was uh, Mr. Georgie had a fat ass. And he also sounded like Voldemort. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. We, I'm working with what I've got. I can't hear myself today. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a thing. That's okay. I mean, maybe he did sound like that. <laughs> I can, I can imagine the father of our nation any way I want to. This is America. Damn it. Harry. Harry. George would also later order six busts of great military figures, Julius Caesar, Charles Twelfth, Prince Eugene of Savoy, Alexander the Great, love Alexander, love Julius too, actually, uh, the Duke of Marlborough, and Frederick II of Persia. Uh, although they actually couldn't find all the busts for him, so uh, he didn't actually get them. They I find it interesting how many of those uh, military figures were also gay a little bit. Oopsies. Um, I didn't even think about that. But Or if, I mean, if you believe Morrissey that war is an invention of heterosexual men. <laughs> which, uh, sorry, Morrissey, you're an idiot. Yeah, Alexander the Great was definitely a little gay. Um, Julius Caesar was also questionably called, well, he was not questionably actually called the queen of Bithynia. Yeah. Like they called him a queen, uh, because he was perhaps once fucking a king when he was a little boy. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some weird, some weird stuff going on there, but they're also great military figures. So it would make sense that he would want those bust. And, And seriously, he like really wanted them. Like he wrote about them. He was excited not to be outdone though. Martha also puts in a pretty big order. Uh, her items include two fine ivory combs, two pounds of perfume powder, damn, uh, two large tortoiseshell combs, silk stockings, shoes, buckles, some beaver hats, which actually sounds naughty. Um, <laughs> and the Washingtons, uh, yeah, the Washingtons were definitely pimping out their lives, spending that cash. Although it turns out the goods were still of substandard quality to George when everything arrived. Part of me wants to believe that George was just a hard man to please at times. 
Uh, or a soft man. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality was probably that the British merchants were sending some real shitty goods over to the colonies because they really looked down on their colonial counterparts. Maybe they were partially convinced that their patrons would seriously not notice, like, uh, just, you know, throw it in last year, uh, throw in last year's styles. But more realistically, they just didn't care because these people were an ocean away and they were not really in any position Far to have away any from the customer service. Day. Exactly. Like there is no way they can have any leverage that could change a situa- situation specifically in Virginia. You see in Virginia, they weren't producing their own goods at all. They grew crops exclusively sold them to England and completely relied on England to supply them with all the stuff needed to live a comfortable life. Other colonies weren't so bad off. Pennsylvania, which this like, again, kind of is an odd point of contention in his life, Pennsylvania. Other colonies weren't so bad off. Pennsylvania produced many of its own goods, turning raw products like cotton into clothes, animal hide into clothing and shoes, wood into baskets. You would think the colonies would just become self-dependent at some point anyway, but that wouldn't really work for England. So there were definitely mechanisms in place to keep the colonies from solely relying on themselves for goods. One of these mechanisms being credit, the big firms would offer the colonies seemingly endless amounts of credit and cash them in a cycle, having to send raw goods to England for sale to pay off the debt incurred by the goods they purchased. It was a really a this big credit cycle, almost nothing like we have right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. So I do actually I do find that kind of interesting when he, the way that George talks about credit, the way that George talks about credit being kind of evil back then. And it's, uh, it's just funny to me because I actually do think that credit is silly, but payday loans are the best. <laughs> I think, I think I, I agree with you. So anyway, George having a seamlessly insatiable appetite for fine, fine goods soon found himself in debt with his English merchants. He was land rich and cash poor. And after only two years of marriage, he found himself in a lot of debt. He went a little too crazy with the shopping and purchasing of land. He ended up burning through a major portion of money he obtained in the marriage. So, you know, it's like, yikes, George, let's slow down a little bit, okay? But honestly, I think that feeling of receiving substandard products and being tossed into debt by these English merchants started to deeply irritate him. Um, I think he felt really trapped. I mean, when you rely completely on another country to provide you everything that you need and you feel like they're not really there to listen to you, you, I think that you'll start to really kind of just feel shitty. You were already mad that when the British were over here and you were, uh, you know, in the army, they had complete say over you. You were pissed about that. So I totally get you kind of were mad at the English for that. And now you're mad at the English for setting up this cycle of debt and credit. So, uh, yeah. Sounds like America to me. America. That's how we started. That's how we keep going. Along the same same vein, if you were to take a survey of people now and ask them what they would choose to grow if they were sent back to the 1700s in the DeLorean as plantation owners in the colonies, two most common answers answers you'd get are cotton and tobacco. Right? I mean, or at least anybody who remembers that kind of fifth grade social studies lesson about cash crops, maybe some corn, but uh, George, George chooses tobacco. After all, it was the, the tobacco trade that brought his great grandfather, I think to the colonies in the first place. That's correct. 
it, it was certainly not a, a crop that had lost any popularity. It sounds like an easy choice to make, you know, you know, grow some tobacco. But things don't go as he had hoped. You see, waiting under that topsoil at Mount Vernon is hod clay. Oops. And if you know anything about growing crops, you'll know that hard clay isn't your ally, as if his soil problems, we'll call them soil and Spanish fly problems, weren't enough. He begins running into all the problems that a planter can have. Drought one year, then a plague of weeds brought on by too much rain another season, then drought again. In 1765, he entertains the thought of Mount Vernon being cursed and claims that where he's having drought problems just 10 miles away, the the weather is all hunky-dory. Cursed, I say, cursed. It all sounds like that can't even be true, George. (laughs) It's easy to look back at Washington's struggles as a planner and kind of point at this or that to avoid calling him a poor planner. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I would too, yeah. He is the father of our country. You can still you can do still do okay selling 150,000 pounds of poor quality tobacco. You know, it's just like marijuana. There was probably a good market for cheap tobacco all over, including London. That's the narrative you're going to get from plenty of Washington scholars. At the same time, these are the same historians that sort of try to give them a pass on the whole that whole slavery thing, you know. They'll tell you, well, of course, Washington wasn't a fan of slavery, but what was he to do? What can I do? You couldn't survive as a colonial planter in the tobacco trade with hard clay without owning slaves. It's labor inten- It's a labor-intensive crop. From certain perspe- perspectives, that's totally true. Slavery is a huge chunk of American history. Most of us are kind of beneficiaries from what slavery did economically here in the States. But that doesn't mean you get to just say that everything is fine. It's fine. It's not okay to just say, yeah, these founders owned people. Oh, but they weren't actually supportive of the system. They didn't like it. But what could they do? What could they do? Poor, poor, you know, I think they're just, I feel bad yeah. for them, you know? I don't like that passive explanation. <laughs> it, I don't know. It's easy for me to say sitting here in 2016, but I'm going to say it anyways. Historians that look favorably upon George Washington, they'll tell you he didn't even like the name slavery. <laughs> he didn't use the term to describe his slaves. <laughs> What did he call his African-Americans? Well, Chernow writes that he seldom used the word slavery as if it grant, graded, as if the name slavery graded on his, his conscience, preferring polite euphemisms such as servants, <laughs> degrees, my people, my or people. my family. That's my favorite. My people is my favorite. These are my people. <laughs> well, definitely, yes, they are. <laughs> oh, that's a very nice. That's very nice of him to use such terms of endearment to call his property. 
And make no mistake, he viewed them as property. Similar to how a farmer today would view livestock or machinery, he wanted strong ones with good teeth. Gotta have a good teeth. He never looked a gift horse in the mouth. (laughs) He wanted females that could produce the most slave children for his benefit. Sure, that was common for this time period. That's a fact. But in my opinion, people being collectively shitty doesn't excuse individuals for going along with it. No, I think you're right. I, I do actually agree with you there. I mean, they knew it to be horrible. That makes it even worse, in my opinion. Washington's slaves are going to increase in population year after year. He purchased and bred them aggressively. He takes care of his slaves And by that, I mean he maintains his investments well. When some of his slaves come down with smallpox, he is quick to quarantine the sick and provide medical care. Sounds like a good time. Some would say that he was acting humanely, while others would say he's, again, just protecting his property. It's what you'd do if you had half a brain. It sounds like some of both to me. It's worth mentioning that George did not sell slaves if it meant breaking up their families. At the time, it was fairly common to sell off members of a family without that being seen as immoral. Apart from that, he behaved like any other slave owner, dare I say, asshole. He would get upset whenever he felt he wasn't getting the maximum amount of labor out of any given slave. Like, how dare these people in bondage not do this task as fast as humanly possible? Where he wanted everything to be systematic and methodical, he just couldn't take into account that someone working, slave or not, may go a little slower when the boss isn't watching. Like many plantations, housing for slaves varied a bit. There were the Samuel L. Jackson and Django and Shane slaves up at the main house. Everything <laughs> was significantly better for them compared to the slaves that worked the farms. You know, the ones with the shittiest work got the shittiest accommodations. One observation from a Polish nobleman describes conditions, and I quote, we entered one of the huts of the blacks for one cannot call them by the name of houses. They are more miserable than the most miserable of cottages of our peasants. The husband and wife sleep on a mean pallet, the children on the ground. There is a very bad fireplace, some utensils for cooking, but in the middle of this poverty, some cups and a teapot. George acted in his usual efficient manner, when supplying slaves with clothing and food, Washington claims, quote, it is not my wish or desire that my Negroes, he didn't use family in this quote, should have an ounce of meal more nor less than is sufficient to feed them plentifully, end quote. He also allowed them, he allowed them to go fishing on Sundays eat his table scraps and the less desirable parts of pigs. All pretty, pretty typical. I wonder what the dogs got to eat. I mean, like, and I say that honestly, like if that's exactly where, you know, 
uh, it's probably the same. Like, you know, the dogs probably got better scraps before these people would. That's disturbing. Mount Vernon had more slaves than he could effectively keep track of. As a result, he allowed them to engage in their own enterprises, ranging from hunting wild game to tending their own small gardens. They were allowed to sell shit in nearby markets. They were permitted to marry slaves from other plantations. I guess Bill O'Reilly was right. We should note these things. We should note these things. I think that that's the most fucked up thing ever. Um, Sure, you could do all those things. But I mean, like, A, you are still owned by another human being. So that's a little little fucked up. Uh, And if you do attempt to do anything like run away uh, from that human being that owns you, believe it or not, there's a 1748 Virginia law uh, that stated you could lawfully kill or destroy slaves without facing any consequences. I mean, you did first have to post a fair warning on church doors and in conspicuous places around town, which I'm sure worked out well for the slaves, considering they were probably definitely taught how to read. But yeah, I mean, once the postings were up, uh, if you found a slave, you could do anything you wanted under the sun, literally, without facing any criminal charges. Again, these people were property. If my barn isn't working for me, I can destroy my old one and pay for a new one. They looked at a human being the exact same way. And back then, yeah, that's just sort of the way it was. But again, it's kind of a despicable way to treat another human being. But I, I don't know. I'm, I am not one of those apologists of history. I think we need to note where they have, we as a population of people have made mistakes and, and kind of own that. Um, but like, you know, also too, like, and I'm again, not playing down the slavery bit, but Americans weren't the first people to have slaves, by the way. Uh, you know, we didn't invent slavery. We were probably one of the last countries to. We got pretty damn good at it, though, right? We did. We got pretty good at it. Because um, this is America, and we're going to make uh, we're going to make America great again. Um, but yeah, because that's exactly what America was like back then. I think we should we should definitely make American America great again, Mister Trump. I'm glad that you can uh, think that those times for rich white men and their subservient wives and uh, house staff. I'm sure I'm glad, I'm glad we want to go back there, make America great again. Yep. And let's make my own mistake. Washington was cool with his people, though. I mean, like you said before, but if you did attempt to run away, he would zealously, zealously hunt you down. Uh, I, I ran across one account that stated that Washington dealt with about 47 runaway slaves. Some of them did run away more than once, but he would pay for the return of his slaves. And once they would be returned, he would treat them sensibly again, because they were his property, wouldn't punish them too much, maybe decrease meals, a little bit of punishment, but he did want to treat them all right and not make them too mad to A, have them run away again, just so you have to pay more money to bring them back, or B, stop working. Most importantly would be this stop working. Uh, He would definitely let them know his feelings were hurt too. uh, When he had them run away, he would let them know he was upset with them. Uh, but if they ran away more than once, he would pay for their recapture and sell them to recuperate all of his losses for having to catch them. So it's, you know, two strikes, you're out rule. Jumping ahead a little bit, I did want to talk about one slave he did hold above all the rest, his manservant, Billy or William Lee. George purchased William Lee in 1768. So we are jumping ahead a little bit in our timeline. But again, he began to serve as George's valet when he was purchased. He would help George get dressed in the morning, serve him his meals, 
ride into battle with him, uh, also deliver his correspondence. Billy was with George for every major event of his entire life from that point on, all the way up into George's death, actually. In George's will, he did free Billy, although by the time that that kind of rolled around, Billy was seriously disabled from multiple falls. Again, he followed George into every battle. So he was no longer able to serve for George beginning right about the time he became president. We actually have an idea of what Billy looked like too, because he appears in a painting and in an engraving of Washington. I find it peculiar that Billy appeared with George in these pieces of art. Justin, I did, I did actually have a question. Why do you think that an artist wanted to portray George with his manservant or his valet? Why do you think that that would be important for a president. I, I tried to kind of do a little digging and I couldn't find too much about it, honestly. But Yeah, I don't really, I can't really think of anybody else in that period that did the same thing. Maybe it's because that's his they family. They were in love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would assume that for a mulatto man to be in a painting with a wealthy landowner and politician, he would have to have been a significant character in the life of that person. Still more. Maybe it was his child. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not certain that those dates would work out. Let's ask the, the ladies at Mount Vernon society or whatever. They'll tell us. Hey, they're on their shit for real, for real though. They provided like a very They're large like, research. Slave children? No, he didn't have no. any of those. No, probably not. Probably no slave children. Or was there? Well, anyway, Mr. Justin, that about uh, wraps it up for this episode. So uh, we hope you had some fun getting to learn more about George Washington, uh, specifically. I know we did. I know we did. Specifically more about kind of his thoughts on slavery, what the first portion of his married life kind of looked like. As the show grows, we'd really appreciate you to leave us some iTunes reviews. We would like to see the show again on the new and noteworthy section to help us spread the word about some interesting historical figures. So if you're reading this, go on right now. I'll wait. We'll wait. Still waiting. To go ahead on to iTunes and uh, leave us a review. And don't forget to stop over and like the POTUS Life podcast on Facebook. Join the discussion about our founding father, the one the only, His Excellency, George Washington. See you next time. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine I mean two sets of testicles, so divine On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands Here comes George, in control Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll Eight opponents' brains And invented cocaine He's coming, he's coming, he's coming Washington 